Amen. Hey, I'm going to share this uh, article that uh, it was a while back, and it says this, Scientist and Lawyer Debate, Intelligent Design th- uh, Theory. Okay, and it reads this. This, this guy, uh, Peter Gegenheimer, he's a molecular bioscientist in Kansas University. He says he doesn't buy this intelligent design stuff. He says intelligent design proponents already have their conclusion that a godlike designer created life and they won't be swayed. Yeah, that, that's where the facts go. Why do you need to go anywhere else? He said, listen to this though. He says, the bottom line is that intelligent design meets all the classical definitions, listen, of a pseudoscience. So what did you say? It's a false or fake science. What? Okay. Now, the Christian guy that was in this debate, a John Calvert, he said, the problem though is this. He says, those who favor intelligent design based on the evidence, he says, they have been unfairly frozen out of the mainstream scientific community. Okay. He says, so it's inappropriate for the state. Here's his own words. Here's that word again. We've been seeing. He says, it's inappropriate for the state to suppress, suppress evidence of design and support a naturalistic worldview that supports non-theistic belief systems. In other words, atheism. Okay. So if you're supposed to have a debate, you're supposed to be open to look at both sides, right? But this is what he's saying. That's not the case. They want to act like and appear like it's an open forum, but it's not. Okay, but here's the point. I keep bringing this up. What did that scientist say, even from Kansas, my home state? What did he say about intelligent design? It fits all the classical signs of a what? A pseudoscience, a false science. Okay, now in our study, if you've been uh, with us so far, we've seen that. What have we been looking at in our study when it comes to intelligent design? Science, you know, scriptural evidence, certainly, but, but scientific data. So how in the world is that not science? And the irony is, we saw before, the reason why most people, I'm convinced, believe in evolution, even in the church, is because they don't get anything to the contrary. It is a closed loop. It's a closed system, okay? And people believe it because you repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, they believe it, okay? And then, because when you start to look at the facts, you find out that, listen, even though they would say intelligent design is not science, just like this guy just said, when you look at the facts, it's evolution that is not based on science, Right? They just repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough. And once again, I'm going to prove that point uh, by looking at one more time the Bill Nye Ken Ham debate issue. Remember that from several weeks ago? Okay? And we've already seen on that issue that Bill Nye got it wrong. Okay? And he was out there giving the impression that it's a proven fact and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. Well, we already seen that he got it wrong on the rock layers. Okay? And that somehow the rock layers prove evolution. They don't. It's all mixed up. There is no order to it. You find human remains mixed in with dinosaur remains. How do you explain that one? Then we saw last time you were here about transitional fossils. He got that wrong too. The only problem with the missing link is it's still missing. And it will always be missing because it's not true. A rat, I don't care how many billions of transitions or millions of years you give it, is never going to turn into a rat or vice versa. Okay, and we see no evidence of that. Okay, now the thing I want to bring up now, one more time on that issue during that debate, is what he got wrong is evolution is not a proven fact. And yet that's how he tried to purvey it. Like, you guys are dum-dums. Why are we even having this debate? Because we all know it's a proven fact. That's not true. Okay, one guy says this. He says, science is supposed to be about what you can observe. But nobody has ever seen Darwinian evolution take place. Nobody. You can't see it in the fossil record, and you can't even see it in the laboratory. Which, by the way, they can't even create it in the laboratory. But even if somehow they were to, quote, create life in the laboratory, okay, that still doesn't prove evolution. Because think about it. It's, it's ironic. So I'm going to use my intelligence in the laboratory to prove that it doesn't take intelligence to create life. 
You, know, you see what I'm saying? So it's kind of ridiculous. Anyway, he says, but you don't even see it there. He said, now listen, just consider what the evolutionists themselves say. Why don't you put this in the textbooks? Why don't you have this on the History Channel? Okay, this is one guy. Uh, his name is James Shapiro. He's from the University of Chicago. He admits it. He says, there are no detailed Darwinian accounts for the evolution of any fundamental biochemical or cellular systems. Listen, only a variety of wishful speculations. This is in their own camp. He said, okay, I'm going to be honest with science because that's what you observe. That's what you can test. That's what you can demonstrate. He said, there is only wishful speculations. And, and we're the ones who aren't based on science? That's crazy, okay? Now, here's another one. This is from the University of Bristol. This is Alan Linton. He says, throughout 150 years of the science of bacteriology, listen, he says, there is no evidence. Through 150 years, trying to scrounge up something, no evidence that one species of bacteria has changed into another. And that's the whole crux of evolution. Some supposed simple bacteria cell evolved into another one. He says, after 150 years of trying, looking, nothing. They admit it. Okay, he says none exists in the literature claiming that one species has been shown to evolve into another. And this guy makes a statement. Hey, listen, please feel to believe whatever you want to believe. I'll give you the space for that, right? But why are we paying for this? Okay, why are we paying for this? He says, I hope that everyone out there will quit claiming that evolution is a proven fact like Bill Nye has been claiming. He is only embarrassing himself and he's doing it in front of the whole nation. He says, the truth is, Bill Nye even admits that there's a vast array of things that he doesn't even know. And one guy brings up just a few of those. He says, okay, Mr. Nye, where did the atoms that made up the Big Bang come from? Right? Where'd the dirt come from? If everything blew up from a tiny ball of dirt, who made the dirt? I don't know. Nye has no idea. Where did man's consciousness come from? Nye has no idea. How can matter produce life? Now, he has absolutely no idea. And he says, this surely is all one needs to know to recognize the utter bankruptcy of the theory of evolution. And he says this, in the end, by making a ridiculous spectacle of himself and mocking Christianity, Bill Nye, whether he realizes it or not, is fulfilling Bible prophecy. The very book that he mocks, he is actually fulfilling. And we saw that 2 Peter chapter 3. Above all, you must understand specifically in the last days what's going to come scoffers they're going to come and they're going to scoff following their evil desires not science their evil desires they don't want there to be a god okay now i said all that to again deal with that bill Nye debate because that was a hot topic okay uh it's not science now here's what's sad and this is why i will take valuable time from the pulpit uh my heart goes out as christians okay because again we're the only ones that can counter this lie okay and so we need to be equipped now and if you don't take that serious Okay, just ask your high school student or your college student who's getting chewed alive when they're not equipped by the church on this issue of the literal account of creation. Okay, but what's sad is there's people in the church that are so ill-equipped that they're actually joining our scoffing society at scoffing at the Bible. One of them, I just got to share this video clip with you, is Pat Robertson, with all due respect, and listen to what he said to people who take the Genesis account literally. This is wild. He said this just recently. Let's take a look. Let's face it. There was a bishop in the Middle Ages there, uh, 1800 something, uh, who added up the dates listed uh, in Genesis, and he came up with a world that had been around for 6,000 years. 
There ain't no way that's possible. And to say that it all came about in 6,000 years is just nonsense. And I think the time we, we come off of that stuff and say this isn't possible. So, I mean, let's, let's be real. Let, let's, not be, uh, let's not make a joke of ourselves. So, we're making a joke of ourselves when we can't take the first page of the Bible literally. What? I thought that was good hermeneutics. I thought that's what you're supposed to do. You take it literally. And again, we saw the problem with the Genesis account. If you can't take the Genesis account literally, why should I logically take anything else literally? If you want to say that with this was six literal days in roughly around 6,000 years ago that life was created by God, okay, literally, um, then maybe I can tweak something else. Why should I trust anything, okay? And, and, and to me, which one is the bigger joke? The joke is it's getting so bad. And to me, this is where my heart is uh, in teaching is, listen, that's a guy. I'm not saying he's not saved. But apparently is so ill-equipped on this issue that he's joining the scoffers and scoffing at the Bible. That's how bad it's become. Okay? And so we're going to continue in our study taking a look at God's witness of creation. And what we're doing is we're getting equipped. Okay? We're helping these people out. Okay? It's not to store up the wrath of God, Romans chapter 1 says, when they suppress this truth about his existence. And we're taking a look at some different evidences that he's shown in creation that he is real. And the first one we're taking a look at is the issue of an intelligent creation or intelligent design. And we've been journeying all the way from the telescope. We're going to continue down, Lord willing, all the way down to the microscope. Every aspect of creation shows God's intelligent design. And when you see design in something, it implies a designer. That's why God did it, so that we would know he exists and hopefully call upon the name of Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. We've already seen the evidence of the universe, the evidence of the solar system, the evidence of the human body, the evidence of the animal kingdom. And last time if you were here, we saw not only the large and small uh, mammals, but then we saw specifically the birds and the fish. Okay, and what we saw, and we looked at the scientific data of just a few birds and fish, but we clearly saw that, frankly, with all due respect, they're somebody's got all their cornflakes in one box, you come to the right conclusion, okay, there's design in these things. There's no way they could happen by chance, okay? It's part of God's loving way to give us proof that he is real, okay? But that's not all. The fifth group of animals we're going to take a look at, showing God's intelligent design, are now the slimy creatures. The slimy ones. We're getting down there, closer to the ground, okay? And again, let's go back to the Genesis account Okay, and I'm telling you folks, when the Bible says God created all things and that we can know his existence through all creation that he has made, Romans chapter one, he means all things. There's not one thing created on the planet that doesn't show his handiwork, even the slimy, yucky creatures. Okay, but again, let's go back to the Bible. Let's take a look at the Genesis account. Let's take it literally and just at face value before we look at any science and let's see what God has to say about where the slimy creatures came from. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 through 25. Let's take a look there. Uh, if you find the glossary, what do you do? Take a little right, a couple right. Books of the Bible might be there. You might take a couple pages. Okay, find the dictionary, just flip it over, start all over. Uh, yeah, yeah, page 2. Well, it depends on your font size. If you have large, super large font, it could be page 5. Uh, small font, it might still be page 1, but I digress, let's go there. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 through 25, let's take a look here, it says, and God said, oops, well, wait a second, who, who's talking here? God said, not a blob, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, and then he breaks it down, livestock, 
Creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to the kinds. And how many of the creatures that move along the ground? All the creatures. It wasn't just the livestock that walk on top of the ground. It was all the creatures specifically that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was what? It was good. Notice in the creation account, this is just kind of a side note. Notice in the creation account, when God makes something, he says, and it was good. He does it immediately. He does it right then. All he has to do is speak a word. Bang, it's in existence. And it's good. In other words, it's right from the start. Those people who would take the position that say, okay, well, maybe God used evolution. It's called, we talked before, theistic evolution. Okay, which is crazy. Because that would say, excuse me, wait, wait a second. So, if God used evolution, what kind of a God is that? In order for him to get it right, good, he doesn't get it right, good, the first time. He needs millions of years to experiments and mutations and misfits and death repeatedly until he gets it right. What kind of a good God is that? It's crazy, okay? It's either one or the other is what we've seen there. But this is what the Genesis account says, that God, again, as we saw last time, he didn't just create the animals that walked on the ground, Okay, he created all the animals that even crawl on the ground, that move along the ground, okay? And here's the problem. Here's where the oil and water does not mix. What does evolution teach? They say, absolutely, we are going to deal with the hard facts of science. And, and so we, we fully confess that all these creepy, crawly things, they, they came from the hand of God. Is that what they say? No, they say, look at all these creepy, crawly things that exploded from a blob, right? Okay, and again, folks, it's one thing if you want to believe that. Okay, but let's put it to the test. We're the ones that have repeatedly said it's a pseudoscience. It's a false science. It's not based on facts. It's all just about faith, okay? Well, let's take a look at that science. And you tell me with the brain that you've been given and created by God, okay, who's telling the truth here, okay? We're going to take a look first at the reptiles, okay? And you tell me uh, where they came from, okay? And the first one's the gecko. Now, the gecko's cool not only for selling car insurance. I mean, guys, have, okay, it worked on you, didn't you? And that's why you bought it. It was a gecko. Okay, he not only sells car insurance, but he can stick to almost any kind of surface. This thing is cool. You're going to want to get one of these, okay? He can run upside down on a ceiling of polished glass without ever falling off. Okay, now see, you're wanting to get one, aren't you? Okay, and believe it or not, it wasn't until recently that we could figure out, how can this guy do this? I mean, he's been doing it since God created him. But it's like, how can this guy, what? Okay, Spider-Man, eat your heart out. Watch this guy. It started when the electron microscope was invented and turned onto the foot of the gecko. It's a guy thing. First you start with a bagel, then you move on to flies, and say, hey, give me that lizard. Let's take, okay, but anyway, uh, so they turned it on the foot of the gecko, and this is what they saw. They magnified it 35,000 times. Now watch the design on just the gecko's foot, man. Okay, what they found is that each toe on the gecko's foot had ridges with millions of tiny hairs, and each one of those tiny hairs has a tiny suction cup. It's amazing, okay? The hairs, with the, here's a picture, with the suction cups are about one-tenth of a millimeter long with 400 to 1,000 branches on the end of each hair, okay? Very complex, very minute. And then on the end of each branch was a spatula-like structure that's less than one-fifty-thousandths of an inch, totaling three million per square inch. This guy's got some suction capabilities. Awesome. And when this was discovered, listen to this, researchers freely admitted, quote, this is beyond the limits of what? Human technology. Human technology is something that's created, something that uses intelligence, that somebody uses their intelligence to design and build and put together. 
So therefore, logically, if what we see just on the simple foot of a gecko is beyond anything that we can intelligently design, what does that imply? Somebody way bigger than man built that toe. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what they admit, right? But here's the problem, okay? This intricate design on the gecko's foot created a sticking power so great, obviously, that the moment it puts its foot down, it wouldn't be able to lift it up again. You see all those millions just... And I thought about this. Wouldn't that be cool if you could create a, a clothing outfit for, for babies and toddlers with that ability? You put them in the nursery over there, they ain't going nowhere. We don't need that security gate. They're stuck on the wall, Ron. It's awesome, man. Parents come back and get them back. It's... Okay, never mind. Let's move on. Okay, but anyway, so, so he's got the problem. Though this guy's got the legitimate problem. Okay, he's got all his suction capability. All right, so as soon as he puts his foot down, now what's he going to do? He ain't going anywhere. Okay, so here's how it survives. Uh, it just so happens the gecko's foot is also designed so that the toe joints curl up at the ends. Now, first of all, if ever, this is supposed to evolve. How do you ever get an impetus for that? Has anybody ever stubbed your toe? And isn't it such an enjoyable experience that you go, let's do that again for millions of years until all my toes curve upward because this is so pleasant. So, so how does this toe go upwards at the end? And, and what would be the impetus for that? Well, there's a design. It's not nothing uh, natural or by chance. Listen, and this way, because of that, he can gradually bend each toe up instead of trying to do it all at once and he unsticks himself. Just kind of pulls it up like that so he isn't stuck to the deal. Isn't that interesting how it works out? His toe just happens to be able to do that. Okay, interesting. In fact, it's been estimated that one gecko lizard has at least 25 million tiny suction cups per toe with a total of 500 million overall. Just on the bottom of a lizard's foot. Again, what's the text say in Romans chapter one? And nobody is without excuse. You have no reason to uh, doubt that God exists. Give me a break. Look at a lizard's toe. And you're going to see the handiwork of God. Okay, but how about snakes? Okay, snakes are not like creepy, but they're extremely complex. Okay, watch this. Uh, Some snakes come with built-in heat sensors beneath their eyes so they can see or detect a tiny change in temperature and they use a kind of infrared radiation. And we all know that for years, the military's been issuing those uh, infrared goggles to the soldiers. And it was, it was awesome, Tom. Uh, we were just at a complete loss until, by a random chance accident, uh, a radio shack, uh, actually 14 million of them uh, simultaneously blew up. And out of the ashes of that, they had this whole stockpile of these infrared goggles. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, whatever. If you actually taught that, what would people do to you? <laughs> Here comes the white jacket, right? But it's okay in school? It's okay for a teacher to teach that in school? This guy's got infrared goggles. How did that come about? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's just a snake, okay, let alone a lizard. Sna- a rattlesnakes can uh, detect a change of temperature as small as one six hundredth of a degree, very precise. A boa constrictor can respond to a fraction of a degree change in just 35 milliseconds. It's not just having the ability to detect the temperature change on a min- minute scale, but to react it so fa- it, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, but that's not all. Snake eyes are not only a term for throwing dice here in Vegas. Uh, their eyes show incredible design. Okay, watch this. For instance, uh, some snakes not only see color better than we can, 
Okay, believe it or not. They also come with a kind of contact lenses, which comes in handy when they crawl around the dust and the dirt because if they didn't have these contact lenses things, uh, they would soon become blind. And we all know that that's how we save money. We're wise stewards for Jesus. We never buy contacts, right? We just wait for enough Walmarts to catch on fire and, and we take the shovel and we get through. Oh, hey, look, a package of contacts. Where do contacts come from? They're, they're, they're made, they're designed, and these guys got them in the infrared goggles, and so, what? Just a snake, right? It's, it's amazing, but that's no. Some snakes not only have uh, incredible eyes, they can actually fly. Okay, start carrying a baseball bat. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. Listen to this, man. Uh, believe it or not, there's a snake in South America called the Paradise Snake, which flies from one tree to another. And who in the, who's the funny guy that came up with that name? Because I don't know about you, but if snakes are flying around me, uh, that's not paradise, right? Even with the baseball bat, that's not cool, okay? Uh, get an umbrella with spikes on it or something, I don't know. But it's called the paradise snake, and here's how he does it. Listen to how God designed this guy. It launches itself from a tree limb, and then as soon as it does, it flattens out its ribs really wide, and so it can actually glide uh, through the air, uh, and then one, it makes a safe landing, and then unflattens its ribs and crawls away, all right? Absolutely amazing. But that's still all. Some snakes not only have an amazing flying ability, uh, they've got an awesome eating ability. This is, this is wild. We, we've seen this on nature shows, but it's like we, we don't put two and two together, the amazing design that's going on here. For instance, uh, some snakes eat eggs. That's a picture of one there. Okay. And granted, that might not seem a big deal, okay, that he's chewing on embryonic evil. Okay, uh, but uh, <laughs> when you consider uh, the comparison of what's going on here, snakes on average, like this guy, maybe about two feet long, Swallowing an egg? Okay, do the math. Uh, it's got a narrow head, slender body. That means uh, they're swallowing the egg is equivalent to you and I swallowing a basketball. Right? Now, that would be a cool fundraiser for the youth. I would pay five bucks to see Tom swallow a basketball. Ron, how about you? Would you? 20 bucks, Tom. Can you do it? How about if we give you a million years to try? Oh, oh, right? These guys are doing it all the time. It's amazing. Now listen to how they can do it, okay? Uh, some snakes not only swallow the, a basketball, but they swallow a person who's carrying the basketball. I didn't show you the other picture that showed them cutting up the snake. That's a little bit graphic. But that's a guy in there, unfortunately, okay? And, uh, but the question is, well, how can they do this, not just swallow a basketball or a person carrying the basketball? How do they do it without choking? How many guys would say that Tom, he'd give it a try, but... He probably choked to death doing it. You know what I'm saying? We, we'll give him, you know, you know, give you a good liturgy and we're trying for the youth. But what? Well, here's how they do it. Some snakes, like the Burmese python, can actually dislocate their lower jaw. Okay? How do you wake up one day and say, hmm, I think I'm going to dislocate my lower jaw on purpose. Just so I can swallow that cheeseburger faster. All right? And uh, actually move their windpipe out the side of their mouth. Because listen, they got to keep breathing while they're swallowing their prey. And that's one of them swallowing, I think that's like an antelope. Look at that. They dislocate their lower jaw to make their mouth that wide to suck it in. And their windpipe has the ability to go outside their mouth so they can keep breathing. That almost sound like Sammy Davis Jr. And this is Vegas. That's wild. <laughs> Maybe that's why he sung so good. His windpipe went out the side. He evolved over millions of years. What? How does that happen? There's no way, folks. That's clearly designed, okay? And, and, and now we're to Chucky. Turn to somebody and say, get a Chucky. 
Oh, this thing's cool. You got to get one for Thanksgiving. I'll explain that here shortly. Okay, this is the Chuckwalla lizard. That's a picture of it there. And he lives down south in the Mojave Desert. He's about 16 inches long, roughly average, you know, stuff like that. Okay, and he's got this oversized stomach, as you can see there, with this crease, wrinkled, baggy hide. Looks like it's several sizes too big on him. You know, it's kind of like after a Jenny Craig diet. You know what I'm saying? Your clothes are all... Right? So that's what's going on with this lizard. You know what I'm saying? He's lost some serious weight. It looks like it. Okay. But actually, there's a purpose for it. It's not the remainders of a Jenny Craig diet. Uh, it's for remarkable defense. Okay? That's him trying to get there in this rock crevice. Now, here's what he does with it. When the chuckwalla is approached by an enemy, okay, what he does is he immediately proceeds to the nearest rock crevice like that. And the reason why he does it, because he starts sucking in air into his baggy body. That's why the skin's so loose. About 300% his normal size. Okay, and it just, it just crams them in there uh, into the rock crevice. And so now the enemy can't get them out. It's like if you were to take a big old giant basketball and just cram it in this crevice, try pulling that thing out. Well, that's what this lizard does with all his baggy skin. He sucks in air and you ain't getting them out. Now, men, you owe me for this one. Ladies, if this ever happens to your husband, okay, don't say he's lazy. Don't say he's overeating. He's following in the footsteps of a chuckwalla. Because what he's doing is he is securing the home from the enemy. Nobody is going to make it through the front door. <laughs> hey, guys, I tried. I'm with you. We've got to work together. We're men. We... Okay, let's move on. Okay, but still, he's got a problem here. <laughs> he's got something else he's got to survive from. So that's nifty. He can do this and keep the, get and eat, right? So he's in the Mojave Desert. Uh, obviously, it may not rain for a whole year. So how does this guy stay alive? You know, there's no Walmarts, there's no grocery stores around, okay, not a lot of water. So what's he do? Well, it just so happens that beneath all that baggy skin are these tiny limp spaces that he uses as a kind of storage bin to survive throughout the whole year. Well, that's nifty to have, okay? And then, that's not all, he's got another problem to overcome. Okay, the desert plants that the chuckwalla gets to eat all grow in this alkali soil, which means it is chock full of salts, Tons of salt, okay? Now, because of this, each summer the chuckwalla actually eats enough salt to kill it. But that's all he's got to eat. So what's this guy do? How does he even stay uh, alive? Okay, well, check this out. It just so happens that the chuckwalla also comes with two nasal passages that have two bean-shaped glands that connect the pools inside of each nostril. Now listen to this. And believe it or not, these glands aren't just there, but they're designed to extract the salt and drain them into the nose pools. Like a filtering system in his nose. Right? Well, that's pretty nifty. That's still not done. Then, but he's got a problem. He's got all this deadly salt in his body, so what's he do? Believe it or not, he gets rid of the salt by sneezing it out of his nose. So his nose acts as a filter to get all the salt absorbed so it doesn't kill him. Collects it into these nose pools. <sniffs> sneezes it out. Now, let's go back to the Thanksgiving thing. You're always, ladies, looking for that, that neat piece to put on the thanksgiving table right get a chuck wallet wouldn't that be cool if you can get, at least get him to stay there right and jim he's always wanting extra salt on his turkey he could just grab chucky there <laughs> wouldn't that be the coolest kids would never forget that thanksgiving that chucky came to visit but anyway that's right uh, with that but here's the question folks okay that's just reptiles okay how could these reptiles slowly evolve over time and which one of these guys could ever uh, survive if all this stuff wasn't there fully functioning all at the same time? Right? It all has to be there or you're dead meat, okay? And, and you need to be alive to procreate to, right? It's impossible. And, and believe it or not, folks, again, once scientists, they see this evidence, they admit that this is true. Now, this quote blows me away. 
Okay, because here in America, we think that, uh, uh, you know, it's the, the land of the free and we're free to believe whatever we want. And it's slowly, unfortunately, change, not slowly, it's quickly changing, especially the last several years. Uh, that's not true. But this is a quote, not just from a mathematician and a scientist. This is one from the Soviet Union. And listen to what he said, Alexander Polkyov. And he says, we know. This is in atheistic communist Russia. He said, and we know that nature is described by the best all possible mathematics because, listen, God created it. I don't know, I like what one guy said. He says, when you take a look at the media here in the United States, and when you take a look at the educational system in the United States, he says, we are getting the filtered, the, the managed news. Okay, we got the three sewer lines, ABC, NBC, and CBS. He says, we don't get the whole story. We only get what they want us to know. He said, but it's even gone beyond that. He says, it used to be in our country that used to have one of the greatest educational systems, okay, that kids were taught how to think critically, logically. He says, but that's not being done anymore. He said, we're not being taught how to think. We're being told what to think, and there's a world of difference. And his quote was, that's old-fashioned Soviet-style indoctrination, not education. And so now it's gotten so bad that the tables have flipped that a scientist in Russia admits this is evidence of God. But because we live in a, such a wicked world, they're suppressing this truth. And kids are growing up believing that there is no God. And they're told that that's science. Crazy. Okay, but that's not all. The second group of slimy creatures is the amphibians. This is cool, man. Give it up for frogs. We're going to take a look at some amphibians. You like frogs? You're a frog fan? Okay. And you tell me if these guys accidentally hopped on the scene. I don't think so. This one's, this is, ladies, this, it's cool. It's a gastric brooding frog. Okay. This is wild. Can you imagine if you gave birth like this? Listen, this frog is in Australia. It's got this totally unique method of giving birth to its young. Okay. Listen to how it does it. Okay. First of all, it doesn't have a placental womb like a mammal. Okay, it doesn't have an outside pouch like a marsupial down there, and uh, nor does it lay its eggs in a nest in the ground. Okay, none of those normal ways that you'd expect. But believe it or not, it swallows them. And it doesn't just swallow the eggs. Listen, as it turns out, this little frog uses its stomach to hatch eggs, meaning its stomach has the ability to both digest food and shut itself off and act as a womb on demand. Listen, listen to what it does. Believe it or not, here's how it works. When this frog becomes pregnant, it somehow... Just somehow knows, okay, that the stomach has to stop its digestive functions, cease to excrete enzymes so that it can become an incubator where dozens of baby frogs uh, will be hatched. And it does. Well, how'd you learn that? Right? First time you get it wrong, it doesn't work. Babies die. You can't experiment with that. It either works or it doesn't. Okay? And then sure enough, the mama frog soon has dozens of live baby frogs crawling around in her stomach. Can you... Ugh. That's almost as bad as chicken. You know what I'm saying? It's just in there and it's just doing its thing. And it's, uh, right? Okay, now then here's an actual picture of it. Do you see the little frog up there? Once the frogs get big enough and they mature enough, they see the hole at the top of the mama's mouth. Okay, they proceed to crawl up the esophagus into the mama's mouth where guess what? Shocker, the mama frog spits them out. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that's how you gave birth? You're just walking around. You're, maybe you are in Walmart, right? <laughs> Just walking around, shopping, doing your thing. <laughs> hey, it's a girl. I better call mom. I think I have twins. <laughs> Triplets. 
you imagine that? This is amazing how this thing is designed. Then when the frog baby emerges, the last one, flip it around. Now all of a sudden this makeshift womb suddenly knows it needs to once again revert back into a fully functioning stomach, and it does. That's completely designed, folks. Okay, and the mama frog goes back to eating again. Okay, absolutely amazing little frog. This is a neat one, the gliding tree frog. This little frog has webbed feet like a duck, but it never goes into the water. Well, that's interesting. So why in the world do you got uh, uh, webbed feet? And instead, it doesn't go in the water. It remains all its life in the trees uh, and on the ground of the Borneo jungle. So the question is, well, why does this frog have webbed feet? As you can see there, but it never goes in the water. Well, it just so happens the gliding tree frog uses these webbed feet for a design purpose, to glide in the air just like an airplane. And here's what this thing does. Okay, first it climbs to the top of a tree as high as 140 feet, and then it just jumps off. It's a guy thing, you know. It was there, so you had to do it. Anyway, and it's not amphibious suicide. It's all part of a unique way that this guy gets around in the jungle. Okay, Uh, the frog jumps off. Now listen, he automatically knows. What he does is he 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 sucks in his neck and stomach, right, like this. Okay, and what he does is he uh, curves him inward, uh, so his free falling body uh, forms like a little frog parachute. He literally creates a parachute with his body as he jumps 140 feet in the air. Okay, then what he does is he's going downward, obviously with gravity. He's twisting his web feet ever so slightly. That's why he has them, because that acts as a rudder that flies him in the air like an airplane, turning him left or right. Absolutely amazing, okay? Then at the last moment, he tips his body up uh, so that it lands with his head facing upward on the trunk of a tree, and then he goes the final six feet or so, and he lands perfectly on the ground. Now, that's wild as it is, but that's, not, that's only half of it. Now, what's amazing is when you keep in mind that this frog is not just doing this, the gliding tree frog does this at night in the dark. And not just any old darkness, but complete pitch black darkness because the foliage of the Borneo jungle blocks out all light, even starlight. Now, just think about that. If you guys are going to experiment making your body into a parachute so you don't die, you you probably don't want to start experimenting at night. And this guy does it all the time. Absolutely amazing. Let me give you one more. I said this one, this one's cool. The false-eyed frog. This is in South America. This thing is wild. It's not only interesting, it's a colorful frog. It's about three inches long. It's got spots of brown, black, blue, and gray, and white. And uh, it's all over, and it uses its skin to change color. Now, it doesn't just change color. Listen to what it does. Okay, uh, why do they call it the false-eyed frog? Well, here's, here's, here's the reason why. It has to do with this frog's ability to not just change colors, but here's what he does with the colors. The frog, first of all, will be sitting in the jungle, minding his own business, right? Just doing this little frog thing, enjoying his frog cup of coffee or whatever he's doing. Okay, and then an enemy, such as a snake or a rat there in the jungle, comes along. So what's his frog do? You think he's going to go, pew, get out of there, right? Not this guy. Watch what he does. Okay, he doesn't jump to the left or the right. He literally, all of a sudden, here comes the intruder. He jumps and goes like this, with his back to him. And you think, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, they're going to eat his back off. You know, so, no, no, watch, what, why? And he goes, well, why would he do that? Well, watch what he does. Because in that same instant, the false-eyed frog changes the colors on its back into a face. And not just any old face. Here's a picture of him just starting the procedure. This isn't the full procedure, it's just starting it. He turns it into a face specifically designed so its enemy sees a big head, a nose, a mouth, two black and blue eyes, so real that a black, uh, they have a black pupil and a blue iris around it. Well, that's interesting. But he's still not done. He then puts his head low to the ground. 
Okay, and then he raises his hind parts up real high, so it appears that there's a large animal head right in front with his eyes staring right at you, at the intruder, at the enemy. He's still not done. Uh, then the frog tucks in his hind legs together underneath to form the shape of a mouth. But he's still not done because then he just happens to know that he moves his legs, uh, his hind legs in a way that it appears that the mouth is now moving. Oh, but he's still not done. Then he turns his toes in a specific way so they now appear to be a pair of long, sharp-looking claws coming out the side of his face. Okay, but he's still not done because what's amazing is the false-eyed frog does all this on his back. Which means he can't see what he's doing. And last time I checked, there aren't little frog mirrors in the jungle. How's it looking, Bob? Now you only got one eye. You better start working on the second one. How about now? No, it looks like a nose. Try another one. How do you practice that? It's all on his back. He can't practice. He can't even see what he's doing. How can he do this? And that's not all. So he not only is on his back, he does it all on his back. Listen, he never sees what he's doing and he does it all in one second. Here comes the enemy. And it freaks him out. How does that evolve? That's crazy, folks. It's ridiculous. How could these ever evolve slowly over time? And again, obviously the big thing is, how could they survive unless all that's there fully function at the same time? It's not. It's all evidence of God's design in his creation. What more does he got to do? Right? And, and again, we're the ones who are not scientific. What are we looking at? Certainly the biblical account, but as we're exploring the facts, we're looking at science. Okay? And again, that's why this guy, this is a great quote. This is Jim Holt. He's the writer of science and philosophy in the Wall Street Journal. Why don't you put this in the textbooks? From the Wall Street Journal, believe it or not. He said this, I was reminded of this a few months ago when I saw a survey in the journal Nature. Okay? He said it revealed that 40% of American physicists, biologists, and mathematicians believe in God. Wait a second, that's almost half. I thought that no scientist believes in God. Nobody would support... Almost half do. Why don't you share that in the classroom? If you're going to be honest, right? Uh, it, it's supposed to be out of education or is it really indoctrination? You're being told what to believe, not how to believe. Critically. Thinking. And he goes on this. And listen, it's not just God. Not some new agey God. He's 40%. Listen. He says, it's not just some metaphysical abstraction, but a deity who takes an active interest in our affairs Here's our prayers. Listen, specifically, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 40% of scientists today believe specifically in the God of the Bible. Why? I think it's obvious. Because at least there are some scientists out there who are being honest. And when you take a look at the facts of God's creation, Romans chapter 1, you've got to be honest. There has to be a God. And then, of course, the good news is you can have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Okay? That is what is being suppressed from the minds of our youth. We tell them that they came from animals and we're shocked they act like animals. We tell them that they came from apes and they go and they act like apes. Oh, why is this happening? We're telling them that there is no God and we're suppressing the evidence of there being a God and we're shocked when our culture is so stinking ungodly. What you believe determines how you behave and how sick it is that people would take basic facts, the truth, and hide it from the minds of the younger generation, and even ours, just so you'll come out being an atheist. And you wonder why the wrath of God is coming? He's not too pleased 
with this baloney. He's gone through all this to give us plenty of evidence and people are suppressing it. Okay? And again, this is why we're getting equipped because we're the only ones people are going to hear this from. Amen? But that's not all. The next group of animals showing God's intelligent design are the bugs. The bugs. Oh, there's some freaky bugs out there. But did you know that God designed a spider that can actually use his web like a cowboy? He does this lasso thing. And he gets them. Isn't that cool? Right? Yeah, we'll get to that next time. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, It could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, That means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God 
And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way. That people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. To trust in his work on the cross. To pardon us from all of our crimes. Our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now.
Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.